we are at a serious disadvantage. <laughs> it's almost impossible for us to get it. And by us, I mean we, I mean every person alive today has this difficulty. Some of the smartest minds walking the planet struggle with this. It's not impossible to get it. It's just really difficult. And here's what we're talking about. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Say what? <laughs> How can we work it out if it's God working in us? I mean, and we're at a serious disadvantage here. And this idea, he goes on to uh, <clears throat> tighten it up most effectively. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, what else is there? <laughs> to want to do it and to do it. There's nothing left. God is doing it all. So how do we work out anything? We're, we're indeed at a serious disadvantage here. Now, the people in Philippi, to whom this letter was written, they had an advantage. Not that they didn't have to think on this one a bit. <laughs> well, probably a lot, with a lot of discussion back and forth. But they had an advantage. They'd been taught by the author, Paul. He'd given an intense course in theology at their church. Uh, shoot, what are we saying? He founded the church. He was the very first person ever to tell them about Jesus Christ. Their love for him must have been very great because in spite of very difficult circumstances on their side, they supported Paul financially multiple times. This pretty clearly shows that they knew Paul well and had lots of time to hear him speak and teach. So this enigma over which we struggle they had probably not mastered, but at least pondered seriously earlier while Paul was with them. Now, since we have not had the pleasure of sitting under Paul's teaching, we're at a disadvantage, but we can look to his other writings, all of which have the quality of inspiration, to help us along. And there's some very serious questions here. Work out your own salvation for it is God who works in you. How can we work out our own salvation when God is working in us, both to will and to work? Paul doesn't say it precisely this way in any of his other works, but the theme of both elements is everywhere. About the same time that he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, he wrote one to the church in Ephesus. So let's read a few bits to see Paul's predominant teaching on this issue. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Predestined. Before we ever were, our destiny was set. Why? For God's purposes, according to God's will, not ours. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were dead, separated from God without any chance of coming to him on our own. 
And he saved us, made us alive. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. (laughs) It's not our doing. (laughs) We didn't choose life. He chose it for us. In the last letter he ever wrote, Paul made it most clear to his son in the faith, Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Even Paul, the apostle, And Timothy didn't do this on their own. In fact, it was fixed before the ages began. Before they even existed. Every letter Paul wrote, except for one, was written to people whom he had already taught. In all these letters, he could say things quickly, since they already knew where he was going. But the people in the church at Rome had never heard Paul in person. So he had to develop his teaching completely within the letter that he wrote to them. So let's look at what he says about this issue of God's will to them and our will. Uh, Well, okay, their will and by extension ours. It's a long, involved discussion. You have to read the whole thing, but we'll be picking it up in the middle. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That certainly sets the stage clearly. Paul is talking about who in the past served God and who did not. And he says that it wasn't them choosing God, but rather it's about God choosing them. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. There's a doctrine referenced here that most of us, well, never heard spoken of from the pulpit before. It's called meticulous predestination. It's simple enough to understand why are we here at church today? Because God determined we would be. You breathe in. God determined that we'd do that. Breathe out. Before time ever began, God decreed that we would breathe out just when and how we did. Every beat of our hearts was determined by God before we ever existed. The tiniest action of the smallest machinery of ourselves all determined before the world ever spun. Are you getting a little uncomfortable here? Because the truth is, I kind of (laughs) am. And I have a question for Paul, one he anticipated his readers would also have. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? If he has mercy on who he wills, and if he hardens whom he will, how is it that we are responsible? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? 
Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called? Wow, that will take some thinking. <laughs> what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? If not only what I do, but even what I will is determined by God, then my very thoughts are determined by him. I think, therefore I am. <laughs> but if God has determined my thoughts, how is it that I am? Where am I? Do I even exist as a person if God determines even my will? But I do exist. We do exist. And yet the will that we have is what God determined we would have. Do you still feel as lost as I do? <laughs> One of the older commentators said it this way. The power to will and the power to act must necessarily come from God, who is the author both of the soul and body and of all their powers and energies. But the act of volition and the act of working come from the man. God gives power to will. Man wills through that power. God gives power to act. And man acts through that power. Without the power to will, man can will nothing. Without the power to work, man can do nothing. So who are we? Well, who we are is what God determined. Our wills, our work. We will as God made us. We work as God decreed. You can act upon your will, but you cannot determine your will, said one of my profs. So, what defines who we are? <laughs> Back to our old commentator. He said the Philippian believers cannot do God's work. They cannot produce in themselves a power to will and to do. And yet, God will not do their work. He will not work out their salvation with fear and trembling. We don't make ourselves good or talented or beautiful or anything else. That's God's work. Our work is to do what we were made to do. To exercise the will that he gave us. What defines us is our wills and our actions. And that is determined by God. Who we are is determined by God. Not each of us ourselves. Okay, maybe we better breathe a little here. <laughs> so let's, we'll take a little break. And we're going to look at some interesting implications of this from this letter. We can't forget where we are in Paul's teaching of the Philippians. He wants his hearers to have the mind of Christ, right? And to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You know, when you realize that all we do and even will to do, comes from God, it's pretty hard to be conceited. 
<laughs> it's yes. It ought to be easy to be humble as Christ was willing to humble himself. It ought to be easy to count others as more significant than ourselves. And that's, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> Immediately after Paul told the Philippians that it is God who works in them, he wrote, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Again, it's easy enough. If we are living out what God built into us to live out, then we're living out according to his plan. And since we are of those who love him, that alone should just bring us joy. There would be no, no need to grumble or question God. Anyway, just a little side note. And getting back to where we were. <sighs> we still have that question. Where are we in all of this? What defines us? What makes each of us a person? Lloyd Ogilvie said, My biggest problem, not only as it relates to how I express my obedience to Christ, but in my basic approach to life, is an unwillingness to give up control, to abandon myself in faith to the Christ life process. When I press myself, I have to confess that I can't believe my life is going to be good unless I can control it. Unless I can make the plans and dream the dreams and then work for their fulfillment. I'm not alone in this. And I believe it is the source of a great deal of our human misery. Our trust in Christ must bring us to the point of abandonment. A willingness to pour out our lives. Believing that we don't need to, nor can we control the future. The future belongs to God. To give up control, we think, is to give up ourselves. <laughs> give up control. It's, it's kind of humorous. Why do we have this illusion that we control anything in our lives? That we have autonomy in our lives? And why do we want it? Maybe our problem is in identifying ourselves to, to ourselves. <laughs> Each of us to herself or himself. We forget that we are creatures, not the Creator. We are made for a purpose. And that purpose is not our purpose. It is God's purpose. Every breath we take, every beat of our hearts belongs to Him. The reason true and eternal joy is found only when we abandon ourselves to God's plan is because that's precisely why and for what we were made. Abandon ourselves. That's not really what it is. It is really to abandon the illusion of self-control <laughs> that was so, that we so desperately want to hold on to. I mean, how is it that Satan said it? You will not surely die. You will be like God. Yeah, like that worked. <laughs> you ever seen someone... I have seen this. Have you ever seen someone try to haul a load of 4 by 8 plywood on the top of a Honda Civic? <laughs> I've actually seen... Okay, uh, 
Nothing works quite right when you when you use it in a way for which it was not intended. And if we can see that in the simplicity of our inventions, why do we not see it in the work of the creator of the universe? We are creatures. He and he alone is the creator. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works and God wills, and it's good. But Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) You see, the entire letter for the Philippians was written by Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to instruct believers in how they should live. (laughs) But if we live as God has created our wills, and we should do, and we do what he made us to do, then how does should enter the question? Let me quote from Paul's earlier letter to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should myself be disqualified. Well, Paul, we might ask, how is it that you say that you discipline your body if, in fact, You also say that God works both to will and to work in you. (laughs) Why did you tell them, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, if what they do is simply whatever God made them to do? Does it feel like we're right back where we begin? Trapped in this conundrum for which there is no answer. Well, maybe we can get a hint from that long letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do the work Because you choose to do the work. Oh, wait a minute. Salvation? I thought they were already saved. (laughs) Certainly Paul was. What does he mean? Salvation is nearer to us now. What salvation? He can only mean, of course, our eternal salvation. Our recreation. What we will be in the new creation. When we finally are truly and completely saved, fully, completely, and in all ways saved when we finally are made perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Every resolve for good? Every work of faith? Yeah, every last one. God will make us worthy. When? Well, now. (laughs) 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan in our souls. For what? Perfection. Our own perfection. Not just the perfection of our souls. Our entire being. Perfect spirits, perfect bodies. All perfectly attuned to our Creator. That is what is happening in us. I found this guy, never heard of him before, Dag Hammersgold. It's more than a half century ago. He is contemplating his own salvation. I don't know who or what put the question. I don't know what it, I don't know when it was put. I don't even remember answering. But at some moment, I did answer yes to someone or something. And from that hour, I was certain that existence is meaningful and that therefore my life in self-surrender had a goal. When he first surrendered, he learned a lot more later, but when he first surrendered that illusion of Godhead in himself, he didn't even know it was to the one true God. But he knew what was required to finally become one of meaningful existence. And that's what's so amazing. Before we opened our arms and surrendered ourselves to the one who gave us our will and made us to work, we actually thought we could achieve autonomy without him. (laughs) Somehow we thought we'd be okay. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He does it, but he invites us to be a part of it, to have meaningful lives. That's why we do his work. Well, how? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation. Not salvation of his, Timothy's soul, nor ours. Timothy was already saved. Paul is, once again, talking about our eternal salvation. The redemption of our bodies, as he put it to the Roman church. The final and the real and the ultimate salvation. Where we will be free, absolutely free, to live out the will of God, of our God and Savior. But now, now it is the sacred writings, the scriptures, that will make us, like Timothy, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. A great disadvantage we had? Well, it's the same one the Philippian church had, actually. We really don't understand what it is like to live out the will of God. We really don't. We will then, but not now. (laughs) We don't really know how to live now. Right now, it's like a little child. God's holding our hand and he's teaching us to walk, uh, to will and to work. He's, He's walking us through the process. He gives us a scripture so that we can learn to run with him. It's when we live as the scriptures teach that we begin to get a hint 
of what it will be like to dance with him. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Father, thank you for teaching us how to will. Thank you for teaching us how to work. Thank you for walking it through us because we really don't know how. We need you to walk us through it. We know that one day, one day you will make us perfect and we'll be able to do your will. We'll be able to know your will. We'll be able to do your works all without the need to be helped along as we are now. But one day isn't here yet. We live today. So we pray that you help us to learn to hold your hand, to learn to walk where you help us to walk, to think how you want us to think. Help us to learn what it means to be Christ-like, to have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to visit us online at southbeachhope.org. We are so pleased that we could worship with you via sermon.net, but hopefully we'll someday be able to praise God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. 